Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have some incredible news for you. Our friends at Bet Online continue to get it done as the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And you can sign up right now. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. You get the bonus, you get into the action. Hey, whether it's the UFC, whether it's the early NFL futures, Major League Baseball, horse racing, and golf, bet online. It's there. Go make some money. Bet online where the game starts. Celebrate your whale of a dad with a fudgy the whale ice cream cake from the locally owned and operated Carvel of North Syracuse. Everything at Carvel of North Syracuse is made fresh. So no matter what kind of treat or design your dad wants, they make it happen. Your dad deserves a tasty treat this Father's Day. Soft serve ice cream, milkshake, sundaes, shakes, and more. America's favorite since 1934. Carvel. Open seven days a week. Brewerton Road in North Syracuse. Stop in today. Fudge the Whale is waiting for you. Hey guys, this is Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter. The ML Sports Platter back with you, brought to you by Burn Dairy, Bowers and Company CPAs, the Syracuse Fitness Store, and our awesome friends over at Chick fil A of Cicero and Clay. Make sure you stop by for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The amazing chicken tenders and waffle fries, mac and cheese, salads are to die for. And of course, those tasty treats, the milkshakes and chocolate chip cookies for dessert. They actually sell. If you go to the web uh, or, or the app or whatever the case may be, or, or, or you're there in person, they do sell family bundles of things. So if you're looking for more than just that small, medium, large lemonade, you can get a gallon. You can get two gallons. You can get four gallons. You can order uh, chicken sandwiches uh, you know, by, by the number for uh, the family for bigger uh, occasions. They will cater uh, your event as well. And oh, by the way, the indoor playground is back open at the Cicero location. And in Clay, you can play a game of cornhole outside before or after your meal. Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay, proud ML Sports Platter sponsors. Um, this episode, I'm going to focus probably about 8-10 minutes on the Boston Red Sox, and I'm going to play a, a really great, unbelievable episode, so insightful with Richmond Webb, uh, Miami Dolphins great, who I had on the Pandemonium podcast on the Built-in Buffalo podcast network. Make sure you subscribe to both this show, the ML Sports Platter and to the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, seven days of Bill's content. But Richmond and I got into all sorts of cool things, man. We talked about his battles with Bruce Smith. We talked about the Dolphins' bills in the 90s, his respect for four straight Super Bowls. Uh, we talked about his Hall of Fame case. We talked about his days at Texas A&M. Um, we talked about uh, just everything. So uh, you will not want to miss that interview, and I will get to that in just a minute. So as I do this podcast, all I could think about, and I really hope my man Brian Cobb is listening right now, <laughs> uh, just because we always bust chops with each other. And um, <clears throat> my wife's uh, family on, on the one side is from uh, the Massachusetts, you know, the Boston, Massachusetts area and stuff. And so it's kind of, uh, you know, me being Yankees, Bill Sabres and all that, marrying into that. Um, you know, people have kind of given me jokes and whatnot uh, over the years, which it's all in playful fun. Um until it's not. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I remember texting with Brian, who is um, my wife's first cousin's husband, and we become close, and he's a diehard sports fan. He's a great sports fan, <clears throat> obviously across the board with, with the Boston teams. And I remember him telling me that, like, the Red Sox are basically toast, and the Red Sox are done, and the Red Sox are this, and the Red Sox are that. And I got to tell you, as long as they have Alex Cora as a manager, 
And as long as they have those six, seven, eight guys carrying the lineup, uh, and as long as they've got a couple of two, two, you know, two sometimes, in, you know, in some cases, three bulldogs in the rotation, uh, their bullpen stinks. Uh, it's come around quite a bit, but I think you know, as far as longevity of that bullpen in terms of production, um, I, I think that might be a weak link for them. But Boston's a very good baseball team. I'm recording this uh, this podcast. They're 43 and third. They're 10 games over 500. Okay. Right now, they're 10 games over 500. They have come back so much in the months of May and June to the point where they've overtaken Toronto as I record this, overtaken Tampa Bay as I record this. They're 13 games back of the New York Yankees. But again, the Yankees are playing at a historic clip in terms of their record. You know, 56 and 20, you could be having, look at the, the Mets are 47 and 29, having a great year, right? Great year. I mean, they have the second best record in all of major, well, them and, uh, Actually, Houston, as I record this, 47-27. But you get the point. Houston's still nine games behind the Yankees, and the Mets are still nine games behind the Yankees. They're just playing at a historic clip. You can't, if your team's 10, 10 games over 500, you can't look at another team, whether it's the Yankees right now or somebody else down the line or somebody else in a different season. You can't just look at that and go, oh, well, you know, they're just not having a good year because these guys are having a historic year. You know, they're on a historic pace. doesn't work like that. You can still be a really good team, and I think Boston is just that. And, you know, they've really, as I mentioned, they've turned it around here. Um, I think a lot of it certainly has to do with, you know, the six guys at the top of the order are really the guys who are making this thing go. Um, you know, the, the, the really the super six, as I like to call them. Raphael Devers is having a great, great year. He's on pace for about 35, 40 home runs. He's on pace for 100 ribbies, if not more. He's on pace for over 400 total bases. He's hitting 328 as I record this. You've got Xander Bogarts, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. who's was a terrific player. He has 21 doubles, 31 RBI, 128 uh, uh, total bases. And uh, if you're keeping count uh, at home, uh, he's hitting 326 as well. The OBP for those guys, 387, 397. The OPS almost 1,000 for Devers right now. And then Alex Verdugo has gotten quite hot as well. 72 hits on the season. I should mention that Raphael Devers is also on pace for well over 200 hits this season. Bogarts uh, is on pace for 200 plus as well. Uh, Verdugo uh, is right behind them with 72. He's got 17 doubles, six homers, 43 RBIs. I record this, a bunch of uh, a bunch of great accolades here. And, uh, you know, a, a pretty solid eye at the plate that gets him into counts where he can really crush the fastball. Uh, Trevor Story, really slow stop, but uh, he's uh, come up uh, with some big hits. He's, he's had some home run parades. He's got 12. Uh, he's on pace for, you know, 25, 30 home runs for a second baseman. That's pretty darn good. Um, J.D. Martinez continues to swing a hot bat, man. Uh, 313 batting average, 33 RBI, eight home runs as I record this. Um, the Red Sox are, you know, and then you got Enrique Hernandez, who has a low average, but it seems like he's really got everything else going on. And then you have the starting pitching uh, that's been very, very good. Um, and, and obviously the, you know, Pavetta and Navaldi, those guys have, um, you know, really come around, I think, across the board. Uh, the bullpen guys have been at least having better outings. Uh, Pavetta leads the way though with this team. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, you got Waka, you got Avaldi, um, and, and the question will be, you know, the middle relief, late relief, can they hang in there? Can the four fives hang in there in the rotation from a depth perspective? But look, here come the Red Sox. Mike Lindsley with you here. It's the ML Sports Platter brought to you by Elevate Fitness of Syracuse. Rosie's Corner, Bertinace Hardware, and our great friends at Stanley Law Offices. Together, they'll work to get you the maximum reward. 
Here you have it, Richmond Webb, Dolphins Great from the Pandemonium Podcast on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. What's up, Bills Mafia? I'm your host, Mike Lindsley, all a part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Make sure you download, subscribe, leave feedback. And five-star reviews to the network, and of course, get us on YouTube. We just surpassed 50,000 followers on Facebook as well, so you Bills fans have been absolutely amazing, the best fan base in all of football. You can hit me on Twitter as well, at Mike L Sports. I have a really special episode here to bring you. We're going to bring in Miami Dolphins great Richmond Webb. Uh, played a little bit with the Bengals after his Dolphins tenure, but was really a terrific offensive lineman, a borderline Hall of Famer. Um, seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, and you know what? He went up against the Buffalo Bills a lot uh, from 1990 to 2000 against a guy by the name of Bruce Smith. And so let's bring in Dolphins great Richmond Webb, who's also very excited about the upcoming season. We're going to get into his fish, our Bills, and a bunch more in between. Richmond, thank you so much. How are you? Good, good. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Uh, Let's waste no time. I mean, this AFC East this year is going to be Pretty fun, man. I think uh, last time I, I chatted with you, we were kind of talking about how, you know, if the Jets get a little bit better and the Dolphins get a little bit better, um, you know, and the Patriots are always kind of hanging around and the Bills right now are the class of the division. Well, guess what? We're, we're here. You know, we're, we're here at that point that we were talking about, and it starts with Tyreek Hill to Miami. How about your thoughts on the division? Oh, no question. Uh, some of the additions that the Dolphins made, I think definitely is going to complement to uh, I think the thing now is you got the players developing that chemistry and knowing what you got to do to transfer it to where you can be successful on the, on the football field. But they definitely, um, I thought, did a really good job this offseason adding, you know, weapons and key position to surround to us so he could take that next step and become the quarterback that they expect him to be. So you obviously played in the league for a long time. You helped protect Dan Marino. You know how hard it is to become an elite quarterback. I've always felt, Richmond, that half of it is on the quarterback in terms of developing, you know, uh, learning things, working hard, uh, keeping his body fit, all that sort of stuff. And then the other half is what's around me. You know, did, 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 did the front office bring in weapons? Do I have the right head coach? Do I have the right coordinator? Is there consistency, continuity, all that sort of stuff? When you think back to Marino and you think back to facing Jim Kelly and uh, all the quarterbacks of today, from Josh Allen to Patrick Mahomes to everybody in between, where where do you think the balance lies then for Tua? Is it straight 50-50? Has he got all of his weapons? Has he done enough on his own? Where where are we at here with how it works for him? Well, I think you got to – I definitely think they, they provided him the weapons. Uh, I think with the new coach also, Mike McDaniel, the things he was able to accomplish with the 49ers and – can get even close to that um and our defense uh continues to play it the way they played the last couple of years it takes a lot of pressure off them but it also increases the production 
of your offense, which in turn should uh, equate to more uh, wins and losses. So, um, you know, the last couple of years, I think last year, I think we was a win away from making the playoffs. And then two years ago, we made it that, you know, we lost the first game in or whatever. So um, I think that's definitely one of the keys is um, building not just to make the playoffs, but to get that first win. And I think they're doing things to change the culture around there to say, okay, uh, sometimes you just got to get in the, in the, in the postseason and then being able to win a game and hopefully you can get that first game uh, at home in front of your fans because it's definitely always tougher, I thought, going on the road versus playing at home. But, you know, if that's what you got to do, you still got to go out and execute. But, uh, those are some of the things I think that uh, with the new coach, um, the weapons that he's been surrounded with, if the offense can kind of, you know, step up their game a little bit and match what the defense has been doing consistently the last couple of years, we should be a playoff team. And I, I think that's what's got the fan base so excited. When you watch the Bills, when you see what they did in the offseason, how do you beat them? Well, I think um, I think it's going uh, with the speed we got. With like you say, Waddle, Cheetah, Tyreek Hill, the, the weapons there, decent running back. They made improvements in the offensive line. It's not saying that you can't be beat, but I think it's just um, defense coordinators have got to figure out how do we take away something from this or try to force them to do, you know, either become one-dimensional. I, I think that's the thing that's tough. And, um, you know, even speaking with, you know, even talking about the AFC, so I still think until it's proven Buffalo is the road you got to go through to win the AFC. So, I mean, they have definitely continue to get better and better each year. So um, I think that's the thing that Dolphins got to look at is right now I look at, you know, the Bills at the top of the division, but if you want to overtake them, that's the team that you're going to have to beat and you're going to have to play much better and much more consistently because they continue to get better as well. And the Patriots are not far off. So the, the, the AFC East to me has become a lot more competitive just based on what a few clubs have done mm-hmm. uh, this offseason to make it a little bit tougher where, you know, before it was the Patriots and everybody else was just kind of not really, really good. So it was a little bit easier to run through the AFC East. But now I think it's going to be a little bit tougher. But I still give Buffalo uh, the edge because they've won the last, you know, few years the AFC East and they continue to get better and better. And they were basically a game away from you know, um, possibly making the Super Bowl. So they've really gotten back to the old days back when I used to play when Kelly, Reed, Thurman Thomas, you know, Bruce Smith, Cornelius, they had players on both sides of football and that team really built built well. And, you know, Coach Marv Levy just now had a lot of respect for that because what they were able to accomplish, you know, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but when you really look at that team, break them down, um, they were probably one of the top teams in the NFL at the time. Okay, so it's really funny with the Patriots now, right? I mean, they haven't had Tom Brady for a couple of years, and you hear the Patriot fans talking to Jet, Dolphin, and Bills fans. You know, uh, uh, well, you know, come on, of course you guys. The division was handed to you because there's no Tom Brady, and, you know, da-da-da. Well, they still have Bill Belichick. They've had some bad drafts. 
And, and I hear that all the time, you know, from people on the New England side, you know, like, well, the Bills are winning the division, but it's just so easy for them. And the other teams are so bad and this and that. And I'm thinking, can we, can we rewind a little bit? You know, like all the teams were, all the teams were bad pretty much during the Bill, the Bill, you know, Bill Belichick Brady era. And in the nineties, the Bills steamrolled the AFC East and everybody else was bad. It, that's just sports, right? Richmond, that's the NFL. It's cyclical. And once a really, really good team gets up there and then they come back, then other people kind of, you know, work their way back up. That's just how it works. They're, they're getting a taste of what we've, we've gotten for so long. And, and like I said, when the Patriots was up there, they didn't want to hear anything about, you know, everybody else is bad in the division, this and that. It was all about the Patriots. So, you know, if you got to take your good times with your bad. Not saying that they're fair weather fans or whatever, but don't start making excuses now. You got to go through whatever what we went through when y'all were on top. So that's the way I look at it. And I agree with you, Mike, but people will try to make the argument when they've had success for so long for that length of time. And then you kind of see a change another guard, you know, and I, I think eventually they knew Tom Brady was going to um, get replaced or eventually have to retire before a guy to play that long and then leave there and then go win a Super Bowl at Tampa Bay. You know, it's just it's just rubbing salt and wound. But he'll come back and, and retire a Patriot. That's where he spent the majority of his career. And I don't think it was I don't think it's any ill will feelings or anything. I just think he wanted to continue to play and at the time that wasn't in the Patriot plan but didn't mean that somebody else welcomed him and gave him an opportunity to continue to play the game he loves. There are multiple national NFL media people, though, who had a scoop on this that Brady was going to get part ownership of the Dolphins, be the quarterback of the fish in 2022 through whatever transactions could be worked out between Miami and Tampa Bay. And, of course, maybe that lures in Sean Payton to be head coach. It was going to be a whole deal, a whole package thing. How would you have felt if Brady was a Dolphin going into this year, and do you think that he still could be? Because a lot of people think, Richmond, that this is a possibility after this coming season that what I just talked about is going to come to fruition. Sean Payton will have a year of rest. Brady, new environment, another team. Brady and the Dolphins, could you ever see it? Would you like it? Uh, I could possibly see him being an owner. Um, Like you said, he's probably played, what, 22 years now I know he's over 20 so making it through this season I'm not saying he don't take really good care of his body and the way the NFL is now the way they protect the quarterbacks he possibly could play possibly another year too because he just does a good job with the nutrition and really taking care of his body but long term that would be for me a short term answer but I could see him getting in the ownership side that seemed like that's something that would keep him around the game and as competitive as he is, I could see him being really good in the front office of um kind of like John Lynch. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's made strides with the 49ers. Some guys just transition well into that and I could see Tom doing that. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of guys like yeah. that, you know, like Ozzy Newsome, John Elway. I mean there's guys who yeah. have who have done it uh for sure. Uh, Dolphins great uh, Richmond Webb with us here on the Pandemonium Podcast and the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. Just an unbelievable career for Richmond, of course, a part of the uh, the 1990s All-Decade team, a two-time first-team All-Pro, and, uh, of course, uh, a Dolphins Honor Roll member, and you can get him on Twitter. He's a great follow, at Richmond Webb. In fact, on Twitter, Richmond, your cover photo is pretty sweet. That left to right, that's you, Dan Marino. Who else we got in there? 
Uh, Keith Jackson, oh, Jeff Frost, yeah. and um, yeah. Pete Stoanovich. Okay. He was kicker, so yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably back from 93, 94, yeah. something back in that, and we took team pitches. That was a great pitch. I hadn't changed. I probably need to update it, switch it out. Oh, I love it. It's great. It's stuff, great. So. Yeah, yeah. So when you would go into Buffalo in the 90s, did you did you dread going to, the, to, to face the Bills in western New York, Richmond? I didn't dread uh, going against them, you know, the thing with playing the Bills back then was that they were just always a notch better. It was always a play. It seemed like if we had to sell for a field goal, they would make a touchdown, and that would be the end. And it would sometimes seem like whoever had the ball last um, would possibly win the game. But that was the thing with that Bills team was that, you know, they had, you know, Lofton, they had Reed, they had Steve Tasker, which was – uh, probably one of the best special teams players that I've seen that would just knock mm-hmm. you. You know, he'd go hit a linebacker, and you don't find many receivers his size that was, you know, that aggressive. And then, you know, you get on the, you know, Henry Jones, you got Bruce Smith, you got Daryl Talley, um, you got you got Biscuit, you know, I, Nate Odoms. I mean, I can just go on and on because I Bryce Pop. I remember facing those guys. And not that you liked them, but you had to respect them because they continued to come up with the plays to win games. And, you know, they had a great, a great coach, this and that. So I had a lot of respect for them, even though we were division rivalries, this and that. And, you know, once the game was over, um, um, you know, respect them and, and to have a conversation with them. And it, it was no ill feel. It was just, you know, when it's time to, to, to play, between those hash marks, we got to get it on. But after that, I think they respected us too. But they were just a little bit better. We couldn't get over the hump, and I think that's why they made uh, went to four consecutive Super Bowls. And they had some really good teams, and um, so I, I tip my hat to them. Um, they had some really, really good teams, and I tell people don't just focus on the uh, Super Bowls. You don't know how hard it is to go to. Four consecutive Super Bowls back to back to back to back. And I always thought they should have won the first one against the Giants. They kicked that field goal. And I think, if, you know, you win that one, maybe it changes the scope of things. But uh, I have a lot of tremendous respect for the Bills. It's just, they're just my arch rivals. So, but I, I give credit where credit is due. They were really good team. I know we we shouldn't mostly go down this road of, well, if this person gets into the Hall of Fame, then that person should, or whatever the case may be. But there is evidence out there that there's a case to be made for somebody if someone else gets in from a comparable position or a similar position. And Tony Baselli recently got into the Hall of Fame, and a lot of people paraded for him to do so. He he made you know went on a lot of interviews. I'm sure you know Tony well. But, Richmond, your career is pretty similar. I mean, you were an unbelievable player. You played... Uh, for a time period that was uh, a little bit more than him, actually. I mean, he only played in the league for, what, seven, eight years. Um, you had an unbelievable career. You're an all-decade guy in the 90s. I remember watching you every single Sunday. I watched you against Bruce Smith in those battles, which I'll get to in a second. Are you a Hall of Famer? Uh, I definitely think I got the uh, the numbers and the accolades to get in there. It's just it just takes some guys, you know, a little bit longer. You know, Tony made it in this year. It's always good when you get another offensive lineman in there. So yeah. uh, I was happy about that. But um, 
Well, I'll, ca- I'll campaign for you. I think you're. I think you're a hall of yeah, I think you're a hall of famer. People, yeah, people feel you should be in there, and then you know someone else goes in. A lot of times, that's when the 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 comparisons go and this and that. And I don't really try to compare myself. I just say, you know, based on what I did on the field, my my resume kind of speaks for itself. So definitely think I'm deserving of it. It's just my wait might be a little longer than the next guys, but I still believe I got a shot to get in there. What was the hardest part facing Bruce Smith? <laughs> 60 minutes of hell. I mean, he <laughs> did everything good, you know. Yeah. He's one of the best pass rushers, uh, played the run, uh, played at a high level, and that was a guy that we had to know where he was at all times. All the time. and, you know, a lot of times he would line up over me and then um, in third down situations, he would jump over the center, over the snap hand, and he was just, he could re- rush from several positions, and I think that's what made him so tough. But he definitely had that account where 70, 78 was for the Bills and know where he was and try to keep a hat on him or, you know, slide the protection to him, this and that, because that's the last thing you want him to do is disrupt, you know, the offense or swing the momentum of the game. And he always had that capability to do that, uh, whether it was on a run, hitting a guy, forcing a fumble or, you know, a sack for, for a big loss or turnover or whatever like that. You always tried to keep guys like that contained and, if it was 60 minutes or even overtime, you, you had to keep your chance struck buckled because he was coming. It wasn't a question of whether he was going to take a playoff because I don't think he'd be going to do that. <laughs> you know, and you were 6'6", you, six, six, I believe. He was 6'4", so he was able to kind of utilize other parts of his game in order to make up for the couple inches because that, usually that's a big deal sometimes, right? Yeah, and, and, and really, even though he was six four, his arms were really long. I don't think his arms as mine, but considering he was six four, he had some pretty lifted arms and yeah. just used his, you know, his hands really well. Knew how to keep guys, you know, getting them off shedding blocks, and just, you know, a lot of times he could beat you by going right. It seemed like he would accelerate. He could kind of lean, and, and once he got around you, that's when he seemed like he would even accelerate even more. So. Um, you just had to be ready to just fight, scratch the woods, whatever you had to do to try to stay in front of that guy. All right, finally, Richmond, I wanted to get into uh, Tamu, man, Texas A&M, your college. Uh, I, I know you're very close to all the programs. You support uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of what they're doing. Um, can you get into your day with A&M and, and what you enjoyed kind of the most about it when you when you kind of – Maybe realize that hey, you know, I'm I'm going to be a, a real top pick here in the NFL draft, round one, pick nine in 1990. Um, get into your A&M days a little bit, would you like? And uh, some of the big battles that you guys had. Yeah, I think our biggest battle was Texas, um, and I kind of got there in the mid 80s. And I think the year before they had one, they ended up going like six and five. Uh, the year before I got there, but my true freshman years, kind of when it really turned around the last few games of the previous season, that we ended up, we went to three Southwest Conference championships, and back then, the winner of the Southwest Conference went to the to the Cotton Bowl, yep. and we won two two out of three of those games. We lost Ohio State, but they had a really good team, and uh, I think my senior year, we played. Uh, out of El Paso at the Blue Bonnet Bowl or Sun Bowl and uh, played against um, 
pit, and they end up they end up beating us. So uh, went to four bowl games out of you know fifth my freshman year. I was redshirted, but just played with a lot of great guys that um, was there to kind of witness the turnaround and, and kind of put Texas A and M on the map at that time. Um, I think the thing that really stood out is we beat. I never lost to University of Texas, and wow. being from A and M, that's kind of like a Florida State, Miami, mm-hmm. Alabama, Auburn, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, USC, UCLA. That type of um, magnitude or that type of intensity as far as the rivalry, and so that's that's one thing that we were really proud of was that we never lost to Texas while I was there. So, and they had some really good teams, but. Um, to win three Southwest Conference championships, I thought that was that was pretty pretty impressive. So great time there. Still get back for some games and actually got into the uh, college baseball. We went to the World Series and I think we did like a game or two from actually making it into the final World Series. But really proud of those guys. So. Um, Things are good right now at Texas a and Yeah, Jimbo Fisher, a big part of that as well, and he's he, he's starting to get to Nick Saban a little bit, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they mixed it up a little bit. I thought they put some gloves on. I thought they put some ropes up and let them go far for a little bit. But, uh, yeah. Definitely looking to that game that's in uh, Tuscaloosa this year, and uh, hopefully it turns into a really good rivalry, but uh, he's been really recruiting his butt off the last few years. We've been I think consistently finishing maybe top five or six above it. And I think that's what you, you got to get the kids in there to have an opportunity to get to the college football playoffs and stuff like that. And I think this past year we had the number one recruiting class. So um, it didn't stop. He's excited. He seems like he really loves Texas. He has support and stuff. So hopefully we can, um, we got close a couple of years ago, but hopefully we can get in that college football playoff and, We'll see what happens from there. At Richmond Webb on Twitter, football legend, Miami Dolphins, great, unbelievable career, 184 games played, 167 of them started, and, of course, a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, and a 90s All-Decade team, and for my money, deserves a spot in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Richmond Webb, thank you so much, my man. Hey, thanks, Mike. You have a great day, sir. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.